Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back, and as average as ever, as we join you again on this week's edition of The Front Row, Tom Block and Keith Jones. KJ, I actually got to see you between shows as we spent some quality time together in Orlando. While we are right here at the pinnacle of our mediocre career. Exactly. How many U-turns did we make together driving uh, to the uh, Citrus Bowl on Saturday? I, that, that was a bunch, and, and, and I got to check out the, the uh, my directional, because what, whatever happened to recalculating, recalculating, all I got is... At the next available, make a safe U-turn. Well, and all I got after the game, uh, these are first-world problems to be sure, but I was going to the post-game uh, party, block party, celebration thing. thing, and it was 1.3 miles from the Citrus Bowl, which I, upon further review, I could have walked back and forth about five times more quickly than we drove there because all the map functions just shut down. And for the record, because I'm, there, I'm driving while he's trying to tell me where to go. There is no way to get there from here because all the roads were blocked off. Now, I'm sure Orlando folks knew exactly the way. I'm not an Orlando folk, I didn't. But that was that was a small deal. The uh, overall, we're going we're gonna to spend uh, pretty much the whole show today, maybe most of it anyway. I guess we'll react to baseball last night because we probably need to. But I think we'll spend the, the great uh, abundance of time talking about the spring game and x's and o's but from an atmosphere standpoint uh, fantastic from a weather standpoint fantastic it it really was a it was a win-win-win i, I was amazed uh, at one point uh, during halftime when you were interviewing the uh, uh gentleman from the florida citrus commission uh citrus sports uh, authority or whatever they're called uh president thrasher came into the booth and what came up behind me he, he grabbed me around the neck and just right in my ear went, this is fantastic. This is great. This is fantastic. And then turned around and walked out. <laughs> well, I, you know, and so <clears throat> I happen to work with the folks at Westcott in my other role. And part of the reason it's fantastic is a lot of the people the university engaged with are not people that would have been in Tallahassee for the spring game. They're alumni that, uh, you know, I got in conversations <clears throat> after the game at the hotel bar and the people I was talking to, uh, you, you know, it was basically Melbourne. Palm Beach, Sarasota, Naples. So all people, you know, Orlando, Southwest, South. Southeast, but could come up for an hour or two. Uh, in, in this case, they were spending the night, obviously. I just said we were at the hotel. Uh, but it's one night. There's quite an abundance of hotels to choose from in Orlando. And so it, it was a win-win from that standpoint. I don't, you know, I heard uh, some folks uh, suggesting the attendance was not accurate, the number that was listed. It was a strong crowd. Uh, and I have to believe that was the number that actually paid and bought tickets. Forty nine nine one three. Yeah, I don't know. I don't go to events at the Citrus Bowl. I, if, if it was inflated, I don't think it was inflated that much. I think it was a pretty strong crowd. I would agree. Uh, there were folks that w- enjoyed the tailgating so much that they stayed out and tailgated well, while the and game it, started. It, it was a very late arriving crowd. It was a late arriving crowd because you're not exactly interested in seeing the pregame uh, calisthenics uh, before you get started. Right. But no, so good crowd. And uh, as I look back at some, some images uh, on social media and looked at the former players that were there, and they had a little bit of a reunion, but I saw one shot that had... I think Corey Sawyer, Peter Warwick, Derek Brooks, Warwick Dunn, Jameis Winston, and Rashad were there. Right. I was told ahead of time Devontae was going to be there. Personally, I ran into Chris Thompson and E.G. Green after the game, and E.G. is a guy I hadn't seen E.G. in years. And uh, he's down in the Naples area actually now. Uh, I think he had been coaching at IMG when Winky was there, and I guess he's, he's coaching <clears throat> Southwest Florida now. But anyway, uh, that, that's another telling sign uh, when you see a lot of former players Correct. connected, and we're seeing more and more of that. But uh, we're blabbering on about our experience. Maybe folks really don't care about our experience. Uh, so maybe we should talk. But it's our show. Well, that's true. That's true. But if we'd like to have folks continue to listen to the show, perhaps we should talk not about us, but but more for them moving along moving along the quarterbacks really stole the show i thought i agree and we talked about uh prior to the game that that was a a primary focus and i'm sure everyone's primary focus Uh, i thought both of them played well i think both of them uh had uh, situations where they showed their inexperience uh jimbo alluded to that both during uh, his interview with us when we were broadcasting game as well as his comments after the game i saw enough good stuff that you you're more than happy to put up with the learning curve that is a, a part of being a youngster. 
Uh, some of the throws that uh, DeAndre made were, were great, as were Malik's. Malik showed you why Jimbo is so high on him because his ability to throw the ball on the run when he's rolling out and he's waggling and he's, he's doubling back, he's very accurate on the run. You saw the big gun that uh, Francois has uh, on some of those out routes. Um, I mean, the, the, the potential is great. The, they executed and, sh- and showed some great skills, but they are young. And so you leave this game in the quarterback position uh, feeling much better than you left last year's spring game. If this had happened last year, then Jimbo doesn't entertain Colson joining the team. Colson, yeah. Yeah, it, it just doesn't happen. Uh, but by the same token, it sets up for a very interesting fall camp once uh, McGuire's back into the mix to see who's going to elevate and, and be the starter. Do you really think McGuire can get back into the mix based on what you saw on Saturday? Yes, because he won't make the mistakes. So, so Jimbo and the coaching staff will have to make a decision. Do they want to go with a little more upside with mistakes or do they want to go with a little less upside and no mistakes? And how McGuire uh, comports himself in the fall camp, you know, it's his to lose is what I'm saying. I feel like the track record, though, with Jimbo has gone upside and ceiling if you look historically I and, mean, he, and i would agree he, with play, you. he played ponder when he was young over a guy in weatherford who'd been there three years last year he played golson who'd been here for 20 practices or however many getting fall no i hear mcguire. you i hear you i'm just saying mcguire's still got the opportunity it's not a done deal okay I'd, I'd come down to that that he'll have an opportunity when he gets back on a side note we talked about this a little bit last week uh and I cringe when I see Sean uh, still gimping around yeah, he's because still got I, that I, boot on. I, I've got that bad ankles me. and uh, it's not a lot of fun to rehab them because I've had to do that. And, uh, you know, whenever he's to that point where he's rehabbing them, that's going to be pretty arduous for May and June. They've said that he'll be fine by June, which in theory, if that's true, then you could go out and you can get into voluntary workouts in July. And uh, maybe you haven't missed that much, but I, he, he's it, been he's been hurting a while. It's concerning yeah. to me. Um, you and I had that same reaction you, when we were at practice. Do you that think? Day. Do you think there's? Uh, I'm sort of setting you up for this, but do you think there's any scenario where McGuire would say, "I'm finished with the spring semester"? I don't know where he is in school right now in terms of uh, if he's graduated or not. I don't know off the top of my head or close to it. How about I transfer somewhere where I can just be guaranteed that I'm going to play? Well, if he was going to do that, he'd already done it. Maybe. I mean, I mean, Clint Trickett didn't do it until after the spring. Well, but Clint tried to do it in December and flunked a class, if you remember. He did. He told he us that, that he on to- this show. Yeah, he did. So he did. Uh, McGuire, McGuire just doesn't strike me as a guy, and, and I don't mean to cast Trickett or Coker as, as quitters or losers uh, by any stretch, but McGuire strikes me as a guy that he's made his decision, he's going to stick to it. I could be wrong, but that's well. That's why I said I set you up. I mean, he stayed in the same recruiting class with Jameis and Correct. wasn't deterred by it. And to be fair to Clint and and Coker, uh, Winston may be a once in a generation, once in a lifetime and by no means, player. Don't, don't even and we're not me, saying that me. Francois and Malik Henry are that to Sean McGuire. I just wanted to throw the question out right. there to see what no, you said. No, I hear you. No, I think he'll continue to rehab. He'll come back. He'll get in the mix. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they split reps. Uh, ultimately, I think Francois is going to be the quarterback against Ole Miss. Uh, I, I would, I'm still back to my 50-50. Uh, I think you asked me that question uh, a while back. Uh, I'm still 50-50. Uh, it, it, it's going to be an interesting fall camp. Another interesting note, you know, you hear these conversations about, uh, well, we've got a, you know, it's going to be Francois. We got a red shirt, Malik. You know, we got a plan for the future. We got to save all this. I, I don't worry. But you know, he'll, he'll draw it up how it is. You, you can't live worrying about if a guy's going to transfer or go pro after three years. You'll go recruit another one. The one thing uh, you would do if, you know, say you did red shirt Malik, whether it was McGuire and Francois or Francois then McGuire. Well, then he's the third team guy that's not getting an awful lot of reps uh, over the course of the season. And how'd that look for JJ in the in the Peach Bowl? Understood, but but. Francois didn't get a lot of reps either because he was redshirted. So if you're redshirting them, you don't count on it. And and balancing that becomes, you know, a more of a uh, an art than a science, obviously. Yeah, it's going to be a fun fun quarterback battle. There's upside galore, though. Would you agree? I agree. The one thing that, that, that we haven't talked about that is different or will be different in fall camp this year is that the kids didn't know Everett Golson. They know Francois. Right. 
And so we heard after the fact that there were a lot of kids that wanted McGuire to be playing because they trusted him. They'd been there with him. They'd been through Matt drills with him. They did some other things. That dynamic is different this year. These these kids like Francois, and they like or will come to like Henry. I was going to say, truthfully, they're going to know Malik better. They honestly, they probably know Malik better even before he got to school this spring, from when he's been on unofficial visits and getting to know him there. But they will have known him all spring and summer. Golson showed up. I'm going to throw out a date, July 10th. I don't know when it was that he showed up, and that was the first time they started to get Correct. to know him. So I think that's a very valid point on that. Uh, I also do think that uh, the, the uh, affection uh, or fondness for McGuire is genuine from the players, too. No question. being around it, that is not forced like, well, maybe we don't this like is what the coaches, so we're going to have to like this guy. Or this is what I think the coaches they, would like for me to say or do. Yeah, I mean, I think McGuire's a guy that's uh, shed blood, sweat, and tears with him uh, as long as they've been around, too, so they appreciate that. No question about it. So you're still 50-50. I'm still 50-50. You're going to go 50-50 right up to the Ole Miss game? Might this change at any point? Uh, we'll wait and see. Jimbo is going to announce a starter the week before the game, right? He's not going to hold that card and just come out on Labor Day well, night. Here's our guy. Didn't Tim say that he's gone back and researched it, and it's usually the Tuesday before? The, <laughs> well, this game, the game's on a Monday, so it'll be a Thursday before the Monday. Well, <laughs> I mean, would Old Miss have to prepare, prepare for some different things? You'd have to prepare for more mobility options, but they're going to prepare for that anyway. Even right. if even if Jimbo announced right now that he's that McGuire's the starter, Ole Miss would still be prepared for one with quarterback think. mobility. One would think. All right. Well, that's just the quarterbacks. Let's talk about uh, what that means for the entire offense because that's where I think the upside is is really really big. We'll do that when we continue right after this on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row. Let's continue on this uh, conversation about the offense, Keith. As usual, defense, your position is getting no respect, and we'll, we'll save that for the end of the show. But. Uh, I want to be careful because people are going to get out of control and uh, set this up like this is the 2013 team all over again. And if you remember back, even though there was a buzz against Jameis, there really was sort of some disenchantment with 2012 season. Mm-hmm. And, and and FSU fans didn't think 2013 was going to be what 2013 turned out to be. Now all of a sudden we're in this world, everybody I talk to is – uh, you know, of the opinion, oh, this team is, and I think this team can be very, very good. I just want to be careful about that. But, but when you look at the offense, uh, and we don't have to go down the whole comparison thing, but you, you look at the running backs, and in the 2013 team, it was Devonte and Wilder Jr. and Carlos Williams, and now you're looking at an offense that has Dalvin Cook and Patrick, who's who's getting better, and Ryan Green, who looks like he never left the position and looked really good. So you got pretty good there. And you still have Stevenson. You still have Vickers. Uh, I mean, you, you got five or even six kids that that will see playing time potentially with a redshirt freshman quarterback if it's Francois, like it was with Jameis. You got an offensive line that, uh, if you recall, the line on that thirteen team, you know, it was a train wreck against Notre Dame in the in the Champs Bowl, or what, I think it was called the Champs Bowl then a couple it was of years four earlier. Freshmen. Yeah, and four then they, freshmen. and then they started from there, and so you're looking at an offensive line that's going to be comparable in terms of years of growth potentially, and we will dig further into that and then it, you look at the tight end and all of a sudden Izzo looks like he might turn out to be better than O'Leary in terms of a combination well, don't discount Saunders either right I think yeah and I think Izzo st- and then you look at the receiving core and you remember in 2013 Florida State really played the same three receivers I mean it was Shaw and Rashad and Benjamin and maybe you have a, a chance to play a little bit more there you've got the three more diminutive guys coming back who I you know Kermit and Bobo they are what they are, but I think they both were fairly polished by the end of last year. Rudolph was a little up and down, but he has had a had a good spring. And then you throw in Auden Tate, who's that big figure, and and looked a great small sample size. I, I'm just suggesting now that if you take an offense that has Dalvin Cook and now you have a tight end that can block and throw, and you have a big target that's six five and a better offensive line and a quarterback with mobility, if it's Francois or Malik Henry. That offense all of a sudden looks a lot more dynamic than what we had last year. I agree. The question will be the mistakes that they made. The 13 squad 
didn't put the ball on the ground and Jameis didn't throw interceptions. Uh, so, so turnovers, offensive turnovers were, were a big plus for that group. When you play in young guys, and of course I'm not worried about um, uh, you know, fumbles from the, from the running backs. Uh, what I'm worried about is picks from the quarterback. Uh, if you can control the ball and not turn it over, particularly in key places, then I think your comparison between 2016 and 2013 has a lot of merit. Uh, we'll we'll know pretty quick, but I, I like where your thinking is, and and I agree with you. At the at the very least, if you're the opposing defense, it's going to be a lot tougher to defend Florida State this year than it was last year. I, I, but just because of those weapons, when you when you consider, okay, so who are you going to take away if in fact Auden Tate? I, I, I'm not saying he's going to be what Kelvin Benjamin was, but you've got to account for a guy that's six five and has a little bit of moves with the ball. And if you've all of a sudden got a tight end that if it's anywhere in his area code. He's going to make the catch. And then you got Dalvin Cook. And did I mention that Kermit, if you throw him a slant pass, can outrun everybody? I mean, a, a little swing pass? I mean, it's it's potentially not fun for the opposing defensive coordinator. Understanding that, uh, yeah, you got to polish. You can't sit back right now all summer and, and get fat and happy and say we're going to be good. Those guys got to work. I think the key to that is going to be the continued uh, maturation of the offensive line. I personally just think that the, the Leonard kid is, is going to fit very nicely at that right tackle you got johnson at the left tackle um you've got six or seven kids that you can interchange between uh, the center and the two guards although um his name's left me right now but the the one guard uh has been playing very consistently uh, i think he plays the right guard um you talking about wilson bell bell bell's been very consistent of, of all those interchangeable parts in the middle um you know i i just think if that offensive line continues to improve uh that that that's also a key and one other thing that we don't talk about much is is the play calling you know when when jimbo has confidence in his quarterback and has uh, confidence uh, you know in down and distance he'll go against the odds he he becomes a little more aggressive in his play calling uh and all of that fits in you know it's a chicken and the egg theory uh, all of that comes together to make what could be a pretty dynamic 2016 offense one of the different well one of Jameis was a guy who would stand tall in the pocket. And so if you look back at the 2013 stats, he actually got sacked a pretty good number of times because he would hold it to the last possible minute. I think FSU was probably middle of the pack in the ACC in sacks allowed. So how these, uh, if it's not McGuire, how the new quarterbacks do in that realm. In other words, do they tuck it and run right away, which they have the potential to do. That's a different, that's not something Jameis did a whole lot of. He was okay at it, but he certainly wasn't dynamic like we saw Francois. He had two runs, I believe, of over 20 yards. Now, granted, he had on the no-contact jersey, and you know maybe that's not representative, but you at least saw the ability to do something. So who excites you the most? Uh, we'll, we'll end the offensive conversation now, and then uh, Tim Linnefelt will join us, <clears throat> and we'll go bigger picture. What excited you the most about the offense the other day? That the quarterbacks can make plays. They're not just great athletes. I saw them make throws. I saw them make plays. Jimbo said afterwards, we wouldn't know because we don't know all the process, but their decision-making was good, both their pre-snap and post-snap decision-making. I mean, the the one touchdown pass that uh, Malik threw was actually a busted route, but but he was reading the receiver and knew what the receiver was doing, so two wrongs make a right, (laughs) you know, and they completed it. Those are the things that impress me about what the quarterbacks did. Outside of the offensive line, uh, let's just focus on skill players outside of Dalvin Cook. What excites you the most about that 2016 offense based on what you saw the other day? Izzo. I think Izzo has a chance to be a very dynamic player because you got to remember he's bigger uh, than anybody's at that position and still has a little bit of speed and get some separation. And as you aptly said, if you throw it in his zip code or area code, you know he's going to go get it. Uh, the, the interception that uh, was thrown – it was a perfect route. If the ball had been placed where it needed to be, it would have been a touchdown. It was just underthrown. It was a physical mistake by DeAndre, and it got picked off, which, by the way, we didn't talk about, and we'll get to it, but Nate was in the perfect position as a defensive back mm-hmm. where you force the quarterback to make the perfect throw or it's incomplete or intercepted. He didn't make it. 
it was intercepted. It looked like one of those that he tried to place instead of just throw the football and let it happen, and, and, and that'll get better. All right, we'll uh, step aside, come back with uh, more, and uh, we'll get the keen insight of uh, one Tim Linnefelt from Seminoles.com. We continue on this edition of The Front Row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back on this week's edition of the Front Row post-spring football game edition. Tom Block, Keith Jones, and our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, who will join us now. Tim, it was uh, a glorious day in Orlando. The Chamber of Commerce did good. The uh, The football was uh, entertaining. And I'll pick. I'll leave it to you now. Well, anything else you'd like to add about that? Uh, yeah, those were all really good uh, descriptors. Uh, I think from Florida State's perspective, I don't know if you could have asked for a whole lot more. A huge crowd. Uh, exciting game, lots of talent on display, uh, a good finish uh, that was was pretty entertaining and, and offered a, a pretty nice glimpse of the future. A-plus uh, all around as far as I'm concerned. Keith and I uh, in previous segments have talked offense only, nothing on the defense uh, thus far, and obviously our first segment focused on the quarterbacks. So very broad-based question here, but your general thoughts uh, on what you saw the other day regarding the QBs? Well, uh, I think the future is definitely bright, uh, whether it be – DeAndre Francois or, or Malik Henry, whoever you were most impressed with, and I know that there are some folks that have, have kind of cast their lot with one or the other as far as who is the best quarterback in the future for State. I think, that at least as of now, based on what we know, you got two really good options there, uh, and, and what a great problem to have. I thought that watching those two go back and forth and, and leading those two-minute drives and those scoring drives at the end of the game uh, was, was really cool and really impressive uh, for both of them. Yeah, no question. It was uh, it was fun to watch them work, and people were. Uh, it's it just it, it's a it's a totally different feeling. I feel like coming out of this spring game than a year ago. Don't would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And it was a totally different post game feel uh, as well. As Jimbo Fisher, you could tell, just was was in a really good mood. And why not? You know, two of his quarter his young quarterbacks looked uh, just about fantastic. He had a load of recruits on hand, a, a load of fans uh, in a new location to see a play. Uh, I, I mean, again, not to not to gush too much, but. Uh, yeah, it was it was a, a really different feeling, and, and I think overall, yeah, I think you know, reading between the lines of what Jimbo Fisher said, and, and kind of just based on observations, I think this team is going to be really good. Uh, I think they have options at quarterback uh, that are better than what they had a year ago, uh, and when you factor in that with all the returning talent that they have on offense and the returning talent they have on defense, uh, this team has a lot of potential. Tim, after the game, what was the buzz? What was the talk about the play of the offensive line? I think they were pretty pleased. You know, part of the problem is, or part of the problem that makes it hard to evaluate is that you didn't have your number one group right. together. You sort of had Roderick Johnson and, and some of the second team guys, and then the first team guys over on the other side. Uh, but but I think they were pretty happy. They were pleased with the way they ran the ball for sure, uh, especially uh, the gold team with Ryan Green. I thought it looked really good. Uh, Jacques Patrick. You know, the, the Garnet team had such a hard time generating any offense in the first half uh, that, they, you know, it, it was kind of hard to judge some of the skill position guys, but, but Jacquez ended up, I think, around four yards per carry in the touchdowns. So based on what limited... 4.6 <laughs> as I look at the notes. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, and then also, you know, some of the, you know, some guys got stacks that probably wouldn't be stacks in a real game and that sort of thing. It's, it's so hard. You know, I understand, yes, you talked about the offense more. It's, it's, it's much easier to sort of pick up insight on the offense than it is the defense in a sprint game, right? I would agree. Well, if you so, just, if you just compare last year to this year, nobody left last year's game thinking, well, the quarterback struggled, but that defense must be really good. But everybody's left this game thinking, man, those quarterbacks are really good, and nobody's concerned about the defense. No, no, and, and I don't know that you should be. You know, and and more than just you, I guess overall output or, or or scoring or anything like that. It was just some of the moments and some of the plays that that jumped out to me. You know, you saw Josh Sweat. Uh, just about devour Bobo Wilson uh, on a when, when he dropped in coverage. Yeah, yeah, um, and honestly, I mean, he just looks fantastic to me. He looks bigger, stronger, but more like he knows what he's doing. I, I, you know, I think you have every right to be excited about him. 
Um, you know who I thought jumped out on me uh, on defense was Marcus Lewis. Uh, I thought he played really well. Uh, played, you could just see him on the field with a little bit of moxie, kind of the the way he carried himself before and after the plays. Uh, I, I thought he looked really, really nice, and, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if he ended up uh, challenging. Well, he already is challenging for a starting job, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ended up with it, uh, at least to start the season. Yeah, Keith and I haven't talked about the defensive side of the ball yet, but when you look at that secondary, Tim, it would appear that you've got more bodies that can play right now and play well than you do positions. It's just crazy uh, how well Florida State has recruited in the secondary, really, since Jimbo Fisher got here. I mean, think about this. You're about to lose uh, potentially the number one overall pick of the draft from your secondary, uh, to say nothing of uh, you know seniors like LaMarcus Brutus and Javian Elliott, who played a key role. And yet, when you come back and say that the secondary could be even better this year, you don't sound like a crazy person. That's actually a possibility. It's just incredible uh, the amount of DB talent they've uh, accumulated, whether it's Tavares McFadden, or Marcus Lewis, like we mentioned, or some of the returning guys like Derwin James or Marcus White. I, it, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it. Well, don't, and don't leave out Trey Marshall. Cause I, sure, I, for I, sure. I, in terms of being the quarterback of that defensive backfield, I mean, he's the glue guy. He's the guy that, that can get people in the right place and cover up some mistakes, him coming back from that, that bicep injury. Uh, yeah. I think he's poised for an outstanding 2016 as well. Well, and, you know, maybe more than anybody uh, on that defense, certainly in the secondary, uh, he seems like he just has a bad attitude there. And I mean that in a good way, right? Exactly. Uh, he steps between the white lines. He is not in a good mood. Right. And that's what, and, you, and you like that out of your uh, your safeties and your and your defensive backs. Well, let's, let's move up to an area that uh, has often criticized, uh, maybe not criticized, but it's been pointed out, it's been pretty thin the last couple of years, and that's the linebacker position. Uh, because when you look at all the athleticism in the secondary, and then you think about, Hoskins and, and Matthew Thomas I mean that's more athletic than what Terrence Smith and uh, Reggie Northrop were certainly which is the you know the two primary guys the last couple of years no it, it really is and I don't know that you can say enough about Roderick Hoskins I mean think about what we knew about him a year ago at this time and, and what the expectations were for his career and there were times last year and Jimbo Fisher said as much that he was their best linebacker uh, and I, I think that's completely fair to say so the fact that he has emerged and turned into a really, really nice college football player um, has been a, a big development for FSC's defense. Uh, getting Matthew Thomas in the fold, uh, I mean, he might be one of the most athletic players on the defense. Certainly the, the speed-to-size ratio that he has, uh, I don't know that anybody can match it. And then I look at Josh Brown, the, the true freshman who enrolled in January. Uh, he was, a, from what, where I could tell, he was about a, a fingertip or so from an interception on the first drive of the game. Uh, I don't know how well he knows what he's doing. He's only been here for a couple months, but, man, he definitely looks the part. He, he looks like he fits in with that group, especially physically. If you were to line the three of those guys up and say, you know, pick the veteran to pick the freshman, uh, if you didn't already know, you'd have a hard time guessing. Well, the other part of it, too, and, and we're seeing this evolve in the big picture, is, you know, you're, you're just not going to be in the 4-3 uh, the, ba- the bulk of the time. Your base defense is now, you know, the 4-2-5, period. Yeah, that way for a couple of years exactly. and Jim Fisher will, will remind you that at any time you want to bring up the idea of linebacker depth because well look you know more often than not we only have two linebackers on the field anyway so it's not as big of a deal as and because of the depth cool. and particularly the size you could even afford to go with six defensive backs you know put another safety in there move uh move uh, uh one of the big guys up to the outside and and, and you could end up playing a, a greater number of snaps with six defensive backs which would require only one linebacker and we saw them do that a lot uh, in the 2013 season too and, and you know look at a player like trey marshall or a player like nate andrews with the size that they have depending on you know the situation they could play a linebacker role i mean it's all about that hybrid versatility the the, the line between a safety and a linebacker gets pretty blurred, really across football anymore, but especially in Florida State's defense. Agreed. What do you? What can you tell us about Marcus Lewis? Uh, I mean, I, I think everybody I've talked to agrees that he played really, really well. And, uh, you know, my understanding, Keith and I were at practice with you last Monday, and, uh, you know, Marcus has been a little nicked through spring, but you wouldn't have known <laughs> it watching him play the other day. No, he's I, he's a guy that we, we haven't been able to gather too too much about. I think you know, these last couple of weeks is the first anybody's really seen him. He was a late addition to the 2015 recruiting class player up from Washington D.C. Who, which you know, that area has been uncommonly good to Florida State over the last several years. The uh, the DMV area, if you will, which I think is Odell Hagen's recruiting ground. Uh, when you think back on some of the players they've got from that area, Ryan, Ronald Darby, Eddie Goldman, 
uh, Marcus Lewis. Uh, you know, those guys all seem to come in here and contribute. So, but I think the the word on the street is that Marquez White is is your your one cornerback on one side, and then on the other side, it's it's down between Marcus Lewis and Tavares McFadden. And you know, the way it goes with the secondary, they're all going to play. Uh, and I, I think we know that, and I think that's a good thing. But uh, you know, Marcus Lewis, he's just but watching him on the field, you can tell he believes in himself. And going up against receivers who are you know, two three years older than him. Uh, he doesn't back down from him, and, and there are a couple times. You know, if, if he makes a play or or, or has tight coverage, he kind of is, isn't afraid to let him know about it afterward. Which you know, you, you like that in your DP. Let's talk about something we don't talk about a lot uh, because it's special teams, and we don't talk about special teams <laughs> a lot. But uh, I'm curious is the is the is the expectation that Aguayo will be the place kicker and that Logan Tyler will be the punter, and Logan's not here yet, or or is it truly open jobs there? I, I think that it probably that's probably how it will shake out. Whether or not that's the expectation right now, um, I think Logan, Logan Tyler is a, a pretty accomplished kicker in his own right, and, and definitely an accomplished punter. But when you factor in that Iaguayo uh, has been here and will have essentially a six-month head start uh, on Logan, that probably gives him the leg up, uh, so to speak. That was that was an unintended pun. Um, Very well played. <laughs> thank you. But you know, when you when you think about the, the type of experience that that Ricky Iaguayo got in that spring game, I don't know. I mean, outside of maybe the quarterbacks, did anybody get more valuable experience than Ricky Aguayo did on Saturday? I mean, how many college kickers get to go out and, and attempt a 46-yard field goal in front of 50,000 people with pressure on, game on the line, and, and do that before his first fall camp? I mean, that's remarkable uh, that, one, he was able to get that experience, and, two, that he was able to rise up well, and, and well, meet technically he did it twice. Yeah, no, you're right. Because that first kick should have ended the game, but Jimbo added clock time to it. Yeah. So the, the the second one would never have occurred in a normal circumstance. Uh, the big, right. the biggest problem that Ricky's going to have to deal with is that his last name is the same as the guy who just kicked here. That's yeah. that's the biggest thing he's going to have to overcome. Now I will say the kickoffs were were not particularly deep, and I don't. Do you know long term is is that something that Tyler would inherit even if he's? But wait a minute, what was he asked to do? Directionally since, kick. Since they weren't going to be returned, was he asked to directionally kick? Was he asked to directionally I, kick? I don't know. Do you, do you know the answer to that, Tim? And, and, that, and that's something that we that unfortunately we didn't get into after the game, so I, I don't know that I could answer. Uh, I do know that well, at least under Roberto Aguayo, uh, Jimbo Fisher almost constantly directed him to, to direction to directionally kick, is that the term, to, to kick off and try to put it in the corner or try to not put it out of the end zone. So that's what Florida State wants to do if they feel like they can do it. They, they don't want you kicking it out of the end zone. They'd rather get that extra three, four, five yards. A field position. Given the format, I, you know, I'm not sure. I would, I would almost see kickoffs and, and field goal kicking as separate competitions, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if they open that up a little bit. If if Ricky were to struggle that way, this in a nutshell sums up how optimistic and enthused everybody is about the spring game because we've just spent five minutes now talking about <laughs> kickoffs and specialists, which we well, never and, do, and we haven't which, even talked about uh, how do you say Robledo. And, Blado, yeah. and uh, Hernandez, well, that, who I was, combined, averaged over 50 yards a punt. I, I was, Hernandez looks fantastic. Yeah, I was going to add that. Hernandez looked tremendous, I thought, punting. Yeah, now, granted, really uh, you know, when it's not no live. No pressure and all that stuff, I get it, but still. Well, they got plenty of work in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> but um, bump, well played. Uh, what else stood out to you, or who else stood out to you in that game? Well, we, well you guys already touched on the quarterback, so that's fine. Uh, you know what? I thought that uh, I was impressed by Ryan Green. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what expectations are for for him this fall, but he definitely looked capable. And, and more than anything, and, and maybe we shouldn't be surprised by this since he was a high school all American uh, who, who played running back in high school. But he just looked like he knew what he was doing. You know what I mean? Like like remember? I guess when when Carlos Williams moved to running back, and he was really talented and really you could tell that he just hadn't spent a whole lot of time with the ball in his hands. Like Ryan Green looks like he's had the ball in his hands a lot. He looks. Like his movements look natural, his vision looks pretty good to me. Um, I think that he, he, you can never have enough depth in the backfield. So, so having a capable option there, and he definitely seems capable uh, based on what we could see the other day. I, Plus, I he caught nice five plus. passes. Yeah, and and, and and having somebody you know catch out of the backfield, uh, you know that versatility they love to have it, and it's it's just more more options, which are, are never a bad thing. I'm. I'm looking through my depth chart here thinking of other things we missed i'm still a little curious i guess at defensive end tim and i think we've talked about this previously you've got demarcus walker and josh sweat there but you moved two guys out of that position yeah uh and now featherstone you know featherstone he may be done uh 
you know, so what what is the thought there on what they've got? And and I guess I'm, I'm curious about Janarius Robinson and what they expect out of him who we didn't see this spring. Yeah, I think that depends on, you know, he had shoulder surgery, uh, I guess, about a month or so ago, I think. And uh, I think it probably depends on how he recovers. You'd like to get him back, but with a shoulder injury like that, especially for a defensive end, you get a lot of contact there. It wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to stay him for a year. But, man, I, I was just to, to, to qualify that with, I mean, he just looks physically, um, I mean, he looks incredible, one of the most impressive-looking freshmen, I think, that have come in here in a while. But, yeah, I, you know, I was kind of looking across that depth chart at defensive end the other day, and it, it does look a little strange. Uh, I don't know that there's any obvious backups uh, right now for, for Sweat and Demarcus Walker. I know Adam Torres has been working there after starting off at um, – at defensive tackle, and and we talked to some of those guys. Um, I want to say it was Demarcus Christmas, but don't quote me on that. Who sort of said that you know they'll rotate in and out, and sometimes the interior guys will line up outside, uh, and they'll do different things to get a different look up front. And then I think we mentioned last week uh, a lot of times they'll they'll move a linebacker or uh, or a bigger safety down there and sort of line him up in what would be a defensive end type position or, or an edge rusher type position, and, and use that as your pass rushing defensive end. So I think they think that they have options, uh, even though they might not be traditional options. Does that well, make sense? Well, I, no, I think you're right. And I think, you know, we didn't see Derwin James in that role as much as we could have last year. They started yeah. to move him there. He got comfortable. And then because of some of the injuries in the secondary, they had to leave him back. But there is no question in the rabbit package that Derwin James is going to be one of the guys that's that's chasing the quarterback. Sure. And, and I, you know, I would look to see how Jacob Pugh fits in there. Uh, he had a really nice freshman year, kind of fell off as a, a sophomore a little bit, just some, some depth start type stuff, I think. But uh, it would seem like there's a role for him there if, if he can jump up and kick it. So, uh, you know, we saw that for the first time. I think Christian Jones was the first one to sort of become that, that hybrid linebacker defensive end. And, and I wouldn't be surprised now that they have seemingly a, a, a linebacker rotation set, especially if they go with two base guys with Hoskins and Thomas. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if – the guy like Jake Pugh kind of moved in that hybrid type of role. Just by way of a recollection for our, our listeners, how big, how much money did uh, Charles Kelly make for Christian Jones when they threw up their hands and said, he can't play here, we got to move him somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. At least, at least, at least on the Christmas card list, right? Oh. Yeah, that, that worked out well. All right, anything else as we let you go that uh, we didn't discuss here in this brief segment that you want to add that uh, jumped out at you? Have you mentioned uh, Ryan Izzo? We did uh, in our in our uh, first or second segment, yes. Oh, well, it sounds like you guys have it pretty well covered, but I, but I was really impressed by Ryan Izzo. Uh, I think he could be in for a, a very big year, especially if Florida State ends up with a new quarterback uh, uh, this fall. You saw both. Malik Henry and DeAndre Francois targeted their quarter or the targeted their tight ends often. Malik going to Maven Saunders, who you know had a pretty quiet, nice game as well. I thought Maven looked really good, uh, but Ryan Izzo looks to be your number one tight end. I think whoever's playing quarterback uh, is probably going to be leaning on him a lot. Well, Casher made a catch, but he did. It, it just he didn't did. look well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, here's what you missed so far, Tim. Just to get the hype train pulling out of the station here, you basically have last year's offense. Only it looks like you're going to be better at quarterback, certainly with mobility uh, mm-hmm. if, if it's one of the younger two guys dalvin cook's healthy uh the tight end needs to be accounted for in the passing game as does auden tate and oh by the way the other three receivers are now better and more consistent too which means this looks like it's gonna be a pretty doggone good offense i, I think that's I, the cliff's notes did you guys get to auden tate uh, well, you know we actually have not talked about him specifically so go ahead fire away Gosh, he just uh, uh if, if there was a, a a breakout star from the spring game that, that wasn't a quarterback i think he has to be pretty high on your list, and think about how much Florida State has missed having that that big time receiver target since Kelvin Benjamin's last year in 2013. Even with a good offense in 2014, you could tell that, that they just missed that guy. Well, Alton Tate, he's, he's not as thick as Kelvin Benjamin, but he, at six five, he, he's right up there in terms of height. And you saw the way on that last touchdown, he went up over the head of Tavares McFadden, who was no slouch himself. He grabbed the ball and, and did a really nice what I thought was a really nice Kelvin Benjamin impersonation to get his feet down and score that touchdown. If you go back and back look and compare the highlights uh, from Kelvin Benjamin's catch, the, the, the first touchdown catch at Clemson, uh, they look kind of eerily similar. Now, Kelvin's was probably from twice as far away. I'm not trying to build that hype train too much, but just when you think about the potential uh, with that body size, uh, man, uh, having a player like that, uh, if, if he can bring that type of performance into the fall, would totally change the offense. And, and you want to go back to talking about the way a tight end can – 
be a sort of a, a safety or security blanket for a quarterback. Uh, having an oversized receiver like that can do the exact same thing. And you saw the way, you know, DeAndre Francois on that play just sort of, you know, threw it toward him and let him go make a play. And, and that's a, a really valuable asset. April 13th. The hype train has left the station. All aboard. That's right. It's only going to gain steam over the uh, exciting months of May, (laughs) June, July, and fall camp when we have nothing to talk about until Labor Day night. Hey, Tim, great stuff. It was good seeing you down in uh, Orlando, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, fellas. Enjoy it. Thank you. All righty. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. And, uh, yeah, it is is officially hype season. It's the season where things that are not a big deal become a big deal because you have nothing else to talk about. Oh, only this time as compared to last year, there may be some um, real reason for the hype train. I mean, if you go back and look at that tape, you saw some kids make, as I've talked about, make some plays. You saw kids with athleticism. Uh, You saw kids that were hungry. I know Coach has talked, uh, Coach Fisher has talked about uh, the fact that these guys have got to be consistent uh, and they got to get a little tougher. Uh, I, I understand all that, but but I saw movement in that direction. It's not just hype. There was evidence. Yeah, and let's uh, let, we'll step aside and come back. One guy's name we haven't mentioned is is Josh Sweat, who has a ton of promise, but uh, is still a work in progress. Let, let's let's touch on that when we continue on this week's edition of the Front Row. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, it's it's still almost like the fall. We're just we're just diving into football because there's a lot to be excited about. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the norm for spring games in some respects. There's always more interest when there's a quarterback battle involved. But, uh, I, yeah, it really is 180 degrees how people felt coming out of last year's spring game to how everybody feels right now. Hold that thought because I do need to mention uh, to everybody who knows by now, certainly, that uh, Madison Social is the place to go with uh, weather like we've been enjoying uh, of late, maybe not so much the last couple of days with uh, some, some rain moving in. But even so, uh, they do have walls and a roof, too. They don't always have to have the garage doors open. But uh, springtime weather is what I'm hinting at. Go get some brunch at Madison Social. Uh, enjoy the uh, sights, sounds, the uh, culinary experience that is Madison Social. They still have the tables Social. with the uh, trough in the middle. They put the ice and the drinks in. Yes. I love that. Yes. Why would they get rid of those? I love that. I mean, I think rest, the rest of us are, are wondering if they'd put any up for bids so we can get them for our houses, right? <laughs> All right. Anyway, Madison Social, we appreciate them being on board as always. They had a, a good time uh, down in Orlando, did a big uh, tailgate that was a partial fundraiser as well. Always do a great job. Encourage you to go out to, uh, to Madison Social. All right. Josh Sweat. Needs to learn how to work, relying too much on his God-given ability. If he will turn that corner, he will be all world. And I trust that he will. What strikes me as curious is that when he came out of high school, he had a horrific injury to rehab from, which either means that he's genetically blessed or he worked really hard on the rehab to get back. And last year as a freshman, um, and I'm not, I don't want to insinuate that there's reports that he doesn't work hard, but I mean, I don't remember hearing that kind of talk last year. He would, he would miss some plays here and there, but you saw an awful lot of raw talent and ability and playmaking out of him last year. I think his uh, is above the shoulders from the standpoint that this is spring and he he's uh, going through his first spring and it's hard and you're not playing a game and, and I'm tired and it's hot and it's in, in April and I don't want to be doing this. And he literally, not figuratively, but literally doesn't appreciate how important spring is. That's why I say I think that will come. Uh, his, he's, he's got to learn how to work through the, I don't really want to be out here, but I've got to be out here type of thing that we all have from human nature. And if, and when he does and and contrast that with, uh, his cohort on the other side, uh, because I, I think every, by all accounts, Demarcus Walker, you know, demonstrated what it means to be a returning starter coming into your senior year and taking advantage of spring to get better. 
because he did that. So I think he's he, Walker will model that for Josh, and I think Josh will just grow up a little bit into it. But but from what I'm hearing, the people I'm talking to, that's the knock on him right now is he takes plays off and he doesn't work as hard as he needs to to get where he can ultimately get. Well, the good news is uh, he's got a lot higher ceiling than you and I. So oh my gosh, we just you know motivate a little. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not trying to. Uh, uh, present the picture that there's reason for concern. No, I no, don't think no. there is. It's I don't, just it's just growth. He's got to grow up a little bit. Yeah. Anything else we've we've left out of the spring game that? Uh, I, let's go back to Izzo for a second. I mean, you mentioned the tight end. You you dealt with tight ends during your playing days, so you had to account for him. Uh, so I know part of when you're the eyes in the sky in the booth, probably what you focus on is what a safety's looking at. And uh, in this case, it's Izzo. Well, two, two things. Number one, Izzo is just as good when they flex him out. I mean, he's almost he, – he can be a fourth wide receiver. We talk about Alden Tate and that height. You know, Izzo is no small guy himself, and right. they ran him in the slot a few times. Uh, so he's got that versatility. Uh, but But he is first and foremost a blocker. He is a very good blocking tight end that has worked himself into a good receiving tight end. And and I'm just telling you, Jimbo will find ways to to target him and not let him just be the second or third receiver in a progression. Jimbo will find ways to target him uh, and get the ball to him based on what he showed in the spring. Well, I think when you start talking about the tight end and then a 6'5 figure, I mean, and you work some routes there. I mean, you got to make a decision. Uh, where's the help going to go after the six-five guy? Or are you going to come help out on this tight end? It's it it poses problems. There's there's no question. Yeah, and then oh, by the way, Dalvin Cook's still on this team, and we've gone this long in the show and not mentioned his name. You know, you and I were at practice uh, uh, during the week prior to the spring game, and Dalvin participated in everything. And, and and everything was full speed. Uh, now they were in uppers. They were in shorts, uh, shoulder pads, and helmets. And then on Tuesday he has surgery. And my first thought was, th- this isn't good. This is, something came up. Something we didn't see. Something out of the ordinary. After having talked to people, and obviously with uh, the conversation that uh, uh, we had with Dalvin during the broadcast, it was just the nagging, lingering thing that they felt like they ought to just go ahead and clean up. Uh, I always revert back to my old days of playing 30, 35 years ago. You you didn't have sur- have surgery in, unless you had to have it. Right. Nowadays, they go in, it's like getting a tune-up. You know, or changing the, 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 the spark plugs. Quick, quick little note on that. Uh, uh, Seminole Boosters asked me to MC a short little thing uh, on on Friday night at the at the block party there, and so Demarcus and Dalvin came out to say a few words, and uh, I asked Dalvin about it as best I could, not in front of the crowd, but his basic answer was it's just something I needed to get cleaned up, no big deal. But so we were talking about the enhancements to the stadium, the big screens, and, and I asked him, you know, I said Dalvin, how do you look when you're you know running on one of those eighty yard touchdowns? How does that look to you on the big screen? I said, do you check that out? And he kind of laughed. He said, I made the mistake of doing that last year one time, and it was he didn't use the term reverse angle, but he was looking at it backwards. It had to be the Clemson run. I agree. So he didn't realize that the DB was closing in on him because it was backwards from what he saw. <laughs> so the point is, even though they're getting brand-new big screens there, Dalvin apparently he's not going to look at him because he's not sure. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny the way he answered it. Uh, All right, we'll step aside, come back, and uh, wrap up the show. We continue on this week's edition of The Front Row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, we wrap up on this week's edition of the front row. It's been uh, all football fodder so far, but in the uh, couple of uh, closing minutes we do need to uh, acknowledge that the baseball team was not able to get it done against florida last night but bigger picture it was a nice weekend against louisville and it's interesting and there's a lot of season left i mean we're not even to the midpoint of it we haven't hit tax day yet so there's a lot of season left 
But currently, you'd be looking for the first time ever at Miami, Florida, and Florida State all being top eight national seeds, which would mean that they could not meet in the postseason until Omaha. Exactly. And, and if you go back and look at where they rank right now, they're they're one, four, and six, or one, three, and six, uh, which uh, for us old school guys is back to the way it should be, because uh, Miami, uh, you know, had, had had been out of the picture a little bit. Uh, from that standpoint, they're now, I think, currently ranked number one. Uh, I, I take away – I go back to the – it was at A&M they played in midweek uh, and then the three-game series Texas against Tech, Texas, Texas Tech. Texas, excuse Tech. me. You know, they, they went – they split that one, and, and that's a top-20 team. Uh, what really counts is Louisville. I know they did throw some guys on Tuesday that didn't get to throw the week before because of the snow out, uh, but the Louisville series – is the one that you point to, and they take two or three from the Cardinals. I, I hate from the rivalry standpoint and the the school standpoint that uh, you get swept by Florida, but uh, I don't I don't put a lot of stock in that because you, you know you're not you're not set up against them. It'd be better if you played them in a three game series over the weekend. You get a better feel for it. Uh, so I certainly know this: Florida can play some defense. Yeah. My goodness. Florida can pick it. And uh, so the downside to, to your point about getting swept by Florida, where that'll come into play is if my hypothetically Miami and Florida State are the last two teams in consideration for that exactly. eight seed. And exactly. then you've got, well, Florida State was swept. Miami did win one out of three. So that puts a lot of importance on the last series here when Miami plays at Florida State. I just think it's going to be interesting. But back to your point, yes, Florida can pick it. Uh, FSU has had uh, some good defensive teams at times over the years. Uh, but last night, uh, defense was the difference. I know in the ninth inning the game got away. Florida State couldn't get the third out. But it was about to be a 4-3 game with Sansone roping a double down the line. And a tremendous play there completely changes that. And, and frankly, Florida State mistakes earlier in the game are how Florida got the four runs. I think FSU is, is much more equipped offensively to keep pace with Florida maybe than in uh, some years past. Uh, they don't have guys that throw 95, and they don't pick it the way Florida does defensively. Well, And Florida, Florida has built themselves into a great program. Let's just be fair. They are who they are. Yeah, no question about that. So anyway, the uh, baseball, there's a lot of baseball left, though. Uh, if the, se- the proverbial if the season ended today, guess what? It doesn't end today. And FSU is, if you're listening, wherever you may be, if you are the coach of a college uh, baseball team, Florida State still has some rain dates they'd like to make up. So uh, please Call contact us. Chip Baker. See if we can get that. Uh, <laughs> see if we can find dates that uh, that work out. All right. Uh, I think we're done. Anything else to add for the good of the order? Again, just a great weekend. Uh, I'm not one who says that Florida State needs to seriously consider routinely moving the spring game i think it needs to be in doak when doak can handle it but it was a great one-off opportunity and i'm looking forward to our folks uh getting back down there against old miss it's going to be interesting going to be fun for sure all right he's keith i'm tom we are done uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll talk to you again next wednesday